are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. This week, Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas, by Yaakov Pekudeh. What a special Shabbos this is. First of all, we are making a seum on Sefer Shemois, the second book of the Torah we are already finishing. Secondly, besides being the double Pasha, it's also Pasha Sachodesh, the final of the four special readings that we have during the month of Adar leading up to Nisan. And of course, it's Shabbos Mavarchim. For Shkodesh Nisan is going to be this week on Thursday. So much is, is happening. No time to waste. We want to use every second we have together to learn, to be inspired, to grow, to make this Shabbos and this month something even more beautiful than it ever been before. So in the second parsha we're going to read tomorrow, it starts, mishkan, mishkan These are the reckonings of the Mishkan, the Mishkan of testimony. <coughs> says, Averitzadik, Akzadik Akain indicates that the name of the Mishkan where the Shechina lived changed from the, the Midbar where it was called the Mishkan, to, when it became permanent, the base Hamikdash, right? The permanent <coughs> temple in Yushalayim. The varied names are indicative of their individual roles, sort of vis-a-vis the people. The Mishkan was a temporary structure, since it accompanied the nation on its journey through the wilderness. It was as temporary as the encampments. When they moved, it moved. The Mishkan was referred to as Mishkan Ha'edus, the testimony referring to the Torah. The Mishkan was notably the receptacle that received the Torah for which it was designated. The concept of an oil, oil moyed, a tent, for the Torah, so that already has precedence. Yaakov Avinu, right? We said Torah tells that Yaakov was Ishtam Yoishev Oyalim. He dwelled in tents, which Chazal tell us applies to the tents of Torah. We also find in Pashas Chukas says Adam Kiyomus Oyal. If a man dies in a tent, which again is interpreted by Chazal in Brochus as alluding to a man's manner of learning, of learning Torah. He should learn Torah, uh, assiduously in, in a tent or, or yeshiva, right? To the point that he is, so to speak, dead to the world, right? Completely detached from the materialistic world in which we live. Thus, the Mishkan, which is the, the place where the Torah lives, so that's kind of, kind of beckons Klaishro to its tent to, to focus solely on, on the study of the Torah. And therefore, fittingly, when the Mishkan was completed, they brought it to Meshra Rabbeinu, right? 
as the the nations, I guess you call him is a quintessential Rebbe, to get his bracha. The edifice that would house and be the symbol of Torah should be connected to <laughs> the one who gave us the, the Torah. Right? While everyone lived in tents, Moishe's tent had the same name as the Mishkan, Oyel Moed. It was situated outside of the camp. Moishe's tent remained the symbol of what a tent should be, a place for Torah study and great spiritual growth. The tent, right, the Oyel Shal Torah, symbolizes the life of one who devotes himself enthusiastically to Torah. He doesn't have a need for all the physical accoutrements and, and, and stylish kind of materialism that sort of quite prevalent amongst the, some of us. His life is not about the house, the car, the trip, the clothes. He is wholly invested in the Torah. Ki heim chayenu. They are our, 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 our lives. This is 101.9 High FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a minute with much, much more. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on the radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Vayakal Pakude. Also, Pashas HaKodesh. Also, Shabbos Mavorchem of Chodesh Elul as we prepare for the amazing Chag of Pesach, which is less than three weeks away. But Baruch Hashem, there's so much to do, so much to learn. But let's focus this week on the Pasha. We really haven't had a chance to discuss much about the Mishkan. We had Purim coming and so let's, let's devote this week's program to talking a little bit about the actual Mishkan itself. And in fact, in this, this week's Pasha, we actually get told about the Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, sort of making the appeal for, for donations for, for the, for the Mishkan. And we find that it was the most successful fundraising drive ever. I, I would, I would, I sort of uh, say without too much fear of contradiction, ever raised, well, literally two days after the fund was was uh, was raised, was was opened, Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Die, die! It's enough. There's die hoisted. There's more than enough for the work that we that we uh, that we need." After all that, the Torah tells us that the Nesim, the priests, the leaders of the Shvatim, they came forth. With their, with their donations. And it's actually mentioned for the first time in our, in our Pasha. It says, The Nesim brought, The Shayam stones that were placed on the shoulders of the, of the Kohen Gadol, on which were written all the twelve tribes, the and the stones that filled the settings on the Hoshin, that the Kohen Gadol wore on his on his chest. Uh, uh, the Avnei Shayam were for the for, for the the ephod and the shoulder straps of the ephod, and the Avnei Luim were for the the Choshen itself. 
Rashi brings brings down what does it mean v'hanesigim heviu. So he brings Amar Rav Nassim says Mauro and Siim lisnadev b'chandukas tamizbeach b'tchila. Why do we find that when it came to the dedication of the Mishkan, which happened on on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is this will be this week Thursday, Rosh Chodesh is is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So there. The Nisim were the first ones to want to bring Kabbalah. In fact, we read about it, we read about it in Chodesh Nisim, we read on Hanukkah, how on each day, one Nasi from each one of the Shvatim brought, brought this beautiful, expensive array of, of Kabbalah. And there they came first. When it came to the building of the Mishkan, they didn't come at the beginning. They said at the end, Elakach Omer Nesim. Rather, Nesim said as follows: Yisnadvut Sibur Ma Hashem Yisnadvin. Look, let everyone bring. We know they'll bring some stuff. They'll bring something, but they'll never bring enough for the whole project. Let them donate what they're going to donate. Uma Hashem Achasrin. Wherever there's a lack, whatever is is uh, is missing. You know, they're going to have the charity drive, and whatever is missing at the last moment, will will bring up the total to the full total. We'll we'll make up whatever might be missing. But what happened was, given the problem was, Baruch Hashem, the congregation did such a good job, there was nothing left to bring. They brought everything. They brought, as we said, more than, more than enough. As it says, whatever they brought was absolutely sufficient. So the Nasim said, what can we do? So they brought these two kinds of stones, the Shoram stones and the Avnei Melun. Therefore, to sort of, um, once they got there, their noses burnt once. So then the second time, when it came to the donations, for the actual dedication of the Mishkan. Ho ho. So then they tchil, they came first. But Ulufishan is atzlu mitchila. But since in the actual dedication and in, in actual uh, uh, donations of the Mishkan, since they were a little bit lazy and laid back and waited to the end, nechsera ois mishmam. The way it's written in the, in the Torah, the word nesiyam, usually there should be a yud. Uh, uh, in, 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 the, in the word, here that, that yud is missing. It was, it's, it's a, it's a knas, it's a punishment to them for not being, not acting with alacrity, not coming right at the beginning to, to bring things to the Mishkan, and, and they lost that letter from, from their name. Now, from the Midrash, it, it sort of comes out that the donation of these Avnei Shayham, was uh, was a small donation relative to everything else that had to be bought, because the the really truth is the Nisim being the leaders of the generation, both in terms of their spiritual level and in terms of their bank accounts, one would have hoped that the Nisim would uh, donate something quite big, quite expensive, quite quite extensive. And, and there's a, a criticism here about this, uh, the situation that the, the Nassim 
uh, created that they waited to see what's going to be going to be lacking. And as we said, because they were lazy at the beginning, they lost this letter out of their out of their name. Now, <coughs> as I was saying, the words nisim usually <coughs> is written with a nun, a sin, yud, aleph, yud, mem. But instead, it's missing one of, of the of the yudin. And by, well, by that yud missing, so that shows the, the punishment, the criticism, or the punishment of, of them. Now, interesting, why was it specifically the letter yud that was removed from the names of, of the Nisim? So the Kliyokar brings down the fact that it takes away the yud specifically is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says <coughs> in Tehillim, Chapter one hundred and one says, "Geva inayim, someone who is haughty, urachav leiv and has a avarice, oisay loy ucha." I can't stomach. I can't. I cannot countenance such such a person. And by the nesiim, there was without any doubt there was a little bit of arrogance. I'll wait and we'll we'll sort of make up whatever's lacking. And when they said. As almost like a, a, a kind of a condescending way. Whatever else they don't bring, we're going to come and do, right? But we'll, you know, we'll we'll fill in any 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 gaps that that there are. And therefore, Kodesh Baruch took from their name the letter Yud. Why? Because only this letter is one of the letters from Hashem's name, right? And uh, and. Uh, of all the letters in the, in the word Nesim, the only one that is also in the name of Hashem is a, a Yud. And therefore Hashem took that away from them to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't want any part of my name associated with their arrogance, with their, with their greed. Right? As the Apostle says, now such a person I can't countenance. And that's why it was specifically the Yud that was taken, that was taken away. Now this, Statement <coughs> of the Nasim that they would fill in whatever lacks there were in what the what the rest of the tzibur uh, uh, brought. So uh, there's there is a bit of, a, of an arrogance and, and 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 a bit of a sort of looking down their nose at everybody else, and therefore that letter was 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 taken away. The one letter from the name Bakadosh Baruch Hu that's found in the word Nasim is the letter Yud, and therefore it's specifically that letter that was taken away from their names to teach them that HaKadosh Baruch was of the opinion that Ein Kan Makan. This is not the place where I want to be. Wherever there's arrogance and wherever there's sort of goading of other people, I'm not, I'm not interested. In fact, as the Gemara says in, in Saita, Amar Avchista, or some say, Mar Ukva, Kal Adam Sheyesh Bogasis Ruach, anyone who has any arrogance, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ha ain anivu hu yechol One second, there's not enough room in this world for me and, and for him. Right? And, and he brings, and he brings a, uh, a, a posuk. And obviously, if Hashem's saying, there's not enough room for me and for him, and we know HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Hashem is everywhere, then you can imagine who's gonna lose such a, uh, a, a, a confrontation. Kriyako brings a similar, a similar idea. We're going to come back and discuss more about a very interesting aspect 
of the stones of the Choshen. But let's go do what we have to do. And we'll be back in a moment. This is 1.9. FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a jiffy. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kurdish Pashas, Fein Yakel, Pekudei Tov, Shin Pei Gimel. Also, doubling as the Shabbos of Pashas HaKadish, and as we'll see, the Shabbos Mubarakim of Chodesh Nisan, we are about to enter the Chodesh HaGu'ula, the month of redemption, the month where we celebrate our creation as a, as, as a nation. But now, we're talking about the Nassim. The Nassim who made a decision to sort of take a wait and see attitude about donations to the Mishkan. And they said, whatever everyone else doesn't bring, we're going to bring. And only when they saw that the, the rest of the nation had brought everything, then they donated the stones for the Choshen uh, and for the Ephod. And they were criticized. Hashem took the one letter of his name that appears in their name and 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 removed it, and we also find that their their donation of of these these stones, even though monetarily it may have, they may have been very very expensive and valuable, on the list of things that were donated to the Mishkan, they it is listed all the way at the uh, at, at 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 the end, and uh, and, uh, and and to show that uh, how 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 despised. Their donation was, and how despised arrogances, and and how how uh, how unconscious modesty, and 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 so sort of coming forward with great generosity of spirit to give is much more valued by Hashem. There's a famous Gemara in in Kedushin Daf Lamed Aleph where they ask Shavuot Lezer, how far does one have to go to fulfill the mitzvah of honoring one's parents? Shavuot Lezer said to him, come and see. What happened? A certain non-Jew, right? What he did for his father in Ashkelon, his name was Dama ben Nesina, and the Chachamim wanted very, very, very valuable stones for the, for the ephod. It would cost 600,000, it would be a 600,000, whatever it was, uh, a profit for Dama ben Nesina. And Afkana says it would have actually been 800,000, uh, a profit. But, as we know, the key was lying under the head of his father, and his father was asleep, and he didn't want to bother him. And therefore, he lost out on that sale that was a little bit of a huge profit. As a reward, the next year, HaKadosh Baruch Hu organized that uh, into his flock was born a, a paraduma, a red Hefer. And again, the Chacham Yisrael came to him and he said to him, look, I know that whatever amount of money I would ask for, if I asked for all the money in the world, you would give it to me. But I'm only going to ask from you exactly that amount that I lost out on last year because of the honor of my of my father. Now, this... this uh, Story is brought not only in the Babli, it's also brought in the, in the Yerushalmi with some slight changes. The, the most blatant of those changes is that the Chacham did not come to buy from him stones for the 
ephod, where there are only actually two stones, two Avnei rather they wanted to buy the stone of Yoshpeh, which is one of the twelve stones that are on the on the Choshen, which, by the way, was the stone, we know that each stone had engraved on it the names of one of the twelve tribes, and on the stone Yoshpeh was engraved the name of Binyamin, and that stone had gotten lost. And the story in the Yushalmi says that one time they lost the stone Yoshpe of, of, uh, of Binyamin. So they said, who would have such a beautiful stone that was as, 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 as equal in beauty to the one we had? So they said, no, we know Dhamma Benesina has it. So they went to him and they made an agreement to buy it for a hundred dinar. So he went to bring it, and he found that his father was was sleeping. So some say that the 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 key of the safe where the keys where the stones were was uh, is in his father's hand, and some say that the feet of his father were spread over the the safe where the, where the stones were. So he came back to them, and he said to them, Sorry, I cannot bring it to you. So the Chachamim said, Why, maybe he wants more money than we promised him. So they raised the price up to 200. And they raised it again to a 1,000 dinner. And he did not want it to sell to them. Once his father woke up, so the, the guy went up and brought them the, the Yashpestam. Now, the Chachamim wanted to give him the, the, the last price they had agreed on, a thousand dinar, but he, he refused to accept. He, he only was prepared to accept the deal they had made originally of a hundred, of a hundred dinar. He said to them, what, shall I sell to you the father of my father, uh, the, sorry, shall I sell to you the honor of my father for, for, for money? And I says, I'm not going to have any hanah from the fulfillment of the mitzvah of my father that, that, as I did. So how had HaKadosh Baruch Hu pay him back? So it says, says Rav Yaisi, the son of Rabun, says, on that very night, he, uh, his cow gave birth to a, a paraduma, and Kleiso weighed out for him its weight in gold, and, and that's how much they, they paid him. Says of Shabzai, Pasigin Eiv says, "Umishpat the roiv tzedaka loy loy loyane." That uh, that Hakadosh uh, Baruch uh, does not delay the reward of someone who does mitzvahs, even amongst the non-Jews. That Hakadosh Baruch pays their reward in in this world, and Hashem paid him back straight straight away. Now Tosfos brings. In, in Mesechus Avaydazara, Davchov Dalit, where he tries to, to compare the two versions of the story, the one in the Talmud Bavli, with the version in the, in Yerushalmi. Cause what it seems clear from the version in the Talmud Bavli, that they were looking for stones for the effort. And the intention of that is the, the stones that were for the ephod that was uh, on the Choshen. 
which is connected to the ephod. He says, uh, uh, it would seem that this whole story of Dom Benesina, love Avnei Shayam from Yushami seems clear that the story wasn't about the stones of the Avnei Shayam, it was about the stones of the Choshen itself. Even though our Gemara says, even though the Babli says they were looking for stones for the ephod, we can say, since in fact the way they were made, the Choshen and the ephod are connected, so even though they're talking about the they called it the ephod. And that's also what it seems in Yushami, in, in, in Peya, where he brings, uh, also a similar story of, of Dhamma ben Yasina, and, 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 uh, and they bring this, this version that the Yashbeth stone of Binyamin was, was, was lost. Now, in, in, in the Sefer of Agodis Leo, which was written by the, uh, the Shevet, uh, Musa, so he brings, he brings a quote from the Marash Yafe, who had another question. Now we know this whole story of Dhamma Benesina. When did it take place? It took place during the time of the second Besamitish. Why? Because only then was there a need to, to process a new para, paraduma. If so, how could they have engraved on the Yoshbe stone that they bought from Dom Benesina. How could they have ins- inscribed the name of Binyamin? Now, we know that the, the all the engraving and things in the Mishkan was done by a certain worm called the Shamir. Right? And, right? And, and there was no Shamir worm in the second Besamekdush. So how could it be that they bought this stone and they had it engraved, obviously with the right name, that there was no Shamir to do it in the in the second Besamekdush. In fact, to quote what he says, says he brings the Marashi off, eh? that by the Ephod, so we know Binyamin's in, his name was engraved on a Yashbeh stone. And even though that it was impossible at the moment to engrave it, as the Gemara says in the end of Saitan Memches, says, they will write the, the name in, in ink, and then they would show the writing to the Shamir, and then the Shamir would go and sort of trace the lines and engrave the letter into the, into the stone. And this story of Dom Benesina took place in the second Beis HaMikdash, right? Because uh, since we say that they bought from Dom Benesina a Pora Aduma, in Bayes Rishon, there was no need to make a new uh, Pora Aduma, right? Because Moshe Abenu made the first one, and the second one was made by Ezra. Right? So, so, in, in there was, in the first place in English, they never needed a new paraduma. So therefore, this story must have taken place in the second base in English. But in the second base in English, seemingly, they had no means of engraving Binyamin's name on the stone. So how does that, uh, how do we, how do they, how does, how does this work out? So the Shevet Musa 
answers, and and he says like kasha, it's not difficult at all. Why the Evsha have a shamir b'bayisheni? It could be that they still had a shamir in the second base of midrash. How sheshomru mimeshleimai that they actually preserved it and guarded and looked after it from the time of Shlema Melech, that was the beginning of the first Beis HaMikdash, until the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. And the fact that it says in in the Mishnah, in Saita Perektes Mishnah Beis, that from the time the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the Shamir was no longer uh, uh, available. He says, no. That would mean the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. That after the second base was destroyed, there was no longer a Shamir. As in fact, uh, uh seems to say at the beginning of, of, uh, of the Perik of, of Mishachiv in, in, uh, in, uh, in Gittin. And even though that there was really no purpose in, in the Avnim, in the stones of the Choshen, in the second base of Mikdash, because as we know, one of the things that were missing in the second base of was the Urmatulim, was the piece of, of uh, a parchment with Hashem's name on it that was placed within the folds of the Mishk, uh, of the Cheshen that gave it its prophetic powers. And therefore, there was no way that we're going to be getting once that Urmatumim was gone. There were no way that we're going to be getting any kind of prophetic or insightful messages from the, the, the Choshen, right? Because when the, the earliest Nevi'im passed away, the Urmatumim, uh, uh, stopped, stopped functioning. In other words, when the first base of Mikdash was, was, uh, destroyed, as Taisa says, there was no longer an Urmatumim. And therefore, when they had the Urmatum, various letters on the Chayshim would light up, giving them messages. Now there was no Urmatum, there would be no messages, and therefore, maybe you want to, uh, uh, suggest that there was actually no need even to engrave Binyamin's name on the stone, because anyway, maybe the whole purpose of the letters was to provide, uh, a, a screen, so to speak, for the Urmatum to, to display, display on. Says that can't be, because nevertheless they would have needed these stones with the writing on it, because if they did not have it, then the Kayan's clothes would not be considered complete, and he would not be able to, to work, because a Kayan Godel who's not wearing all of the clothing in their entirety exactly as they should be, uh, cannot, cannot do his avoider. So they needed to have the names engraved on on the stone. And the question is, how did that happen? So he's suggesting that maybe they still had the Shamir even in the second base of Mikdash. However, the the Shevi Muslim himself argues on this answer and he holds that in reality in the second base of Mikdash there was no uh, uh, Shamir worm at all. And, and therefore... Uh, that ability or to to engrave the name Binyamin on the stones of the Chayshin did not exist. But, he says, there was no need in the second base of Mikdash for the Shamir. Why? Because there's actually another way to engrave on these stones whatever you need to engrave. And he says as follows, says, it would seem to me that there's no need 
to actually uh, uh, get into a, a a situation where we say an answer that really is not a sac- is not a sac- satisfactory uh, answer, and when we say that from the time the Beis Mikdash was destroyed, there's no t- no longer a Shemir that is talking about the second Beis Mikdash, which is a very very difficult answer, right? Because we know that when the first Beis Mikdash was destroyed, in fact, the Shemir stopped stopped existing, right? I now they needed stones for the effort in the second base of Mikdash. And then without those stones, the Kohen Gadol would not have been able to function because the big day and the close of the of the Kohen Gadol would have been considered lacking. And a Kohen Gadol who serves with the, the wrong set of clothes or the incomplete set of clothes is, is Chai Misa. He has to be put to death. So therefore, there had, there had to be another plan. And he says there was. There was a possibility of engraving stones through the blood of goats. That when you would put that blood on the, on the, on these, uh, uh, sapir stones, which is called a diamond, so the blood would cut that, uh, 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 which in a way that no iron implement could ever, could ever, could ever do. It, it did, it, it did, it was this blood did exactly what the Shamir would have done. As in fact, the, the Kriyaka brings down in, in, uh, in Malachim, Malachim Aleph, quoting the, the, the Arbarbanel. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, that, that there was this other method of being able to engrave things without using the Shamir at all. But now, now the question turns around. Once the Shevin Muster has now told us that there was this other possibility to engrave using the blood of, of goats, so then he turns around and asks, okay, if so, who needed the Shamir at all? Right? We could have just used the blood. He says, since now we have this answer, so now you need to think about since the blood of the of the goats helps uh, and can do exactly the same thing that the shamir did. So what 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 uh, purpose was there in Shlema to go to such lengths to get to get the shamir? Right, we had to go. Like Gemara says you had to go backwards and forwards. You had to go all the way to to Ashmedai to find out where where it was. So we we don't need that at all. In fact, the Medrash says that he had to send an eagle all the way into Gan Eden in order to find the, the, the Shamir. And obviously the question is, why? If you could have used the goat, then what's so special about, about the Shamir? And perhaps the approach is yes, they definitely could have used the blood. But there was an object lesson, there was a Musr here that HaKadosh Baruch was teaching us. The work was done by the Shamir. What is the Shamir? A lowly worm. And, and it can do all things that even very great people can't, can't do. And that's a lesson. For real greatness, we need modesty. We need someone who is, doesn't think big of himself. This was the mistake that the Nasiya made. They had this little bit of arrogance. Oh, I'm going to do it all. No, 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 no. We actually want the main character in the Mishkan to be the Shamir. So what comes out is that the need 
for this worm, the Shamir, was in order to teach us the, the great attribute of modesty. And we can say, by the Nasim, there was a lack in their donation of the Avnia Ephod and the, and the, and the Choshen, because they were, they slipped up in, in the, in the attribute, unfortunately, of arrogance. And therefore, in order to fix up this impurity, we had to engrave the names of the Shvatim on the stone, on those stones, specifically through the worm called the Shamir, and not through the blood of, of goats, in order to, to teach us the, the incredibly importance of, of, of lowliness, of, of modesty. And with that, we'd be able to uh, atone for the lack of the, of the Nassim. This is 11.9, Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 1.9 Chai FM. This is program is sold to sold back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh. Parshas Vayakel Pekude. Tovshin Pei Gimel. Very long Kriyas Hatayra this week. Double Pasha and also it's Parshas Achidish. The last of the four special readings that we read around this time in Chodesh Adar as we approach Chodesh Nisan. In fact, we're approaching it so closely that it's also Shabbos Mavarchim of Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Rosh Chodesh will be Ezra Hashem be on Thursday of this week. And then we really get into Chodesh Nisan and uh, we kind of stare down at Pesach coming and get our heads around what we need to do. As we do at this point on the show, <coughs> we need to tell you all the important times and details you need for this coming Shabbos. So, this afternoon, the earliest time for benching Licht is at 5.06. 5.06 is the earliest time you can get your uh, candles up. Yeah, it's still plenty of time, over three hours. And no, sorry, I, I don't do math very well. Over two hours until we get to that point. Certainly enough time to get the food hot and everyone ready and bath and kind of just kind of to chill down and be, uh, welcome in the tremendous avido, uh, the tremendous atmosphere, the tremendous kedusha of a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos, Shabbos Kodesh. So five or six is the earliest time for lighting candles. The latest time this era of Shabbos for lighting candles is 6.04. You've got to get them done. By that time, 6.04 is the absolute latest time for, for lighting candles, right? And, and make sure that the cars are parked and everything is ready at that, at that time. Shkia is at, at 6.22. And again, the time after 6.06, as I always say, is only there for emergencies, absolute situations that you couldn't avoid having to do some malach at that time, but otherwise we have to consider 6.04 as the latest time we can do anything. 6.22 we say is Ishkia. Therefore, if you want to be able to dive in Mayrev at night and say Krishma, fulfill the Torah Mitzvah of saying Krishma at night and not have to repeat it again. If you wait till 20 to 7, 640 to Davin Mayrev, 
you're in the clear, you've done your Shema obligation, and then you can sit down and make Kiddush. By the way, if you are within the half an hour before 6.40, in other words, any time between 6.10 and 6.40, you really should not make Kiddush. You should wait. Halacha says that within half an hour of the time, that one, one can do a mitzvah, one should not sit down to a full-fledged meal because of the worry that you might then get absorbed in the meal and forget to do the mitzvah. So therefore, if you get home from shul any time, sort of after about 10 past 6, then you need to wait until night, say Shema, and then sit down and really enjoy a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos Shabbos meal with friends, with family, with good food, with good zmiras, with good divertera, good, good discussion. It's just a beautiful, beautiful opportunity to sit together on, on, with, with the family on a, on a lel Shabbos. Tomorrow morning is a busy morning in, in Shul. So first of all, we have the double Pasha by Yakel Pakude, over 200 psukim in the double Pasha. And of course, because it's the end, of Sefer Shmois, we get to say Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek. We get to strengthen ourselves and commit ourselves further as we get ready then for Sefer Vayikra, which is always a challenging one to learn and understand and the Karbonis and laws of Tumantara. There's lots of, of very, very technical and difficult dinim. So we strengthen ourselves, Chazak, we strengthen ourselves and get ready for, for that. As I mentioned, it's also the fourth of the special readings that we read around this time of of year, around Chodesh Nisan. We've done already Shkalim, we've done Zacha, we did Parah last week. So this week is the last one, Parshas HaChodesh, from the 12th chapter of Shemois, where we were to delineate a lot of the laws of the Karben Pesach, how they would do it, how they would organize it, and of course starts off with the announcement that this is Rosh Chodesh, because of course Nisan is the first month of the Jewish of the Jewish year, so we have a special maftir of Pashto Chodesh. We then have, of course, a special haftira because the special maftir attracts a special haftira, which is from the Novi Yecheskel and talks about some of the processes that went on in the in the Beisamikdash uh, and and uh, you know when people would come and go and what they would what they would uh, uh, do. It's also, as I mentioned, it's also Shabbos Mavorchim, and therefore we will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh for Nisan is always one, one day, and Rosh Chodesh will be, please God, on Thursday, which of course means that that's exactly two weeks before Pesach. Pesach is then two weeks later. The first Seder night is Wednesday night. I think it's the 5th of April. Wednesday night, Thursday night, or Saturday night, and of course, we go straight into a Shabbos. So we have a beautiful, beautiful, what we call a long Yontif weekend, three, three days of, of successive, successive, uh, uh Yontif. So we say that we have Shabbos Mavarchim, and therefore, obviously, no, no Avrachimim, and whatever the shuls normally do on Shabbos Mavarchim, whatever special brachas or cholent you have, you'll be able to enjoy that this week, Shabbos Kurdish, Continues and Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 6.52, eight minutes before seven, and that's the termination of, of Shabbos, and we then go from there into a beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, week. We are dealing in our Shabbos segment still with the laws of 
official laws of of cooking, and we are talking about stirring, stirring not not stirring up a fight, but stirring food that's in a in a pot. So that actually increases the quality of 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 the cooking, and therefore. If someone stirs or mixes on Shabbos a cooked food, if it has not yet been 100% fully cooked, actually violates a Torah prohibition of cooking on, on Shabbos. Right? The, 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 uh, activity of, of, of mixing a, a pot is, is referred to by the language of our Chazal as magus. Magus is to stir to, you turn the bottom of the pot to the top and the top to the bottom, and that enhances the cooking process. And even in the situation where the cooked food is no longer on the, on the fire, so long as it's A, not yet completely cooked, and B, uh, the temperature is higher than Yad Seleris Boy. So if those two conditions are, are met, it's a Torah prohibition to, to, to stir it. Similarly, Achachamim have, 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 have forbidden that to take a food out of a pot that has been cooked Right? Where, 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 or, where some of the food, some of the cooked food that's in it might not yet be completely edible. No, it's not what we call Mavushlo Kotsarka. If you take some food out of the pot, when there's food that's still not completely cooked, even if it's just some of the food, and obviously by, by diminishing the quantity of food in, in the pot, so then you are increasing and hastening the, the, uh, the cooking, the cooking uh, p- a process. And that's going to move, it's going to move all the food around in the, in, in the pot. And, and that is again this activity of, of Hagosa, of, of, uh, of stirring. And the truth is even if you would take the pot off, let's say, off the, the plot or whatever it is, if the, uh, 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 the sort of the, the state of the food is that it's not yet completely cooked, even though it's no longer on the platter, you may not take out of that out of that pot anything. And it's all you have to wait until the pot would cool down to the temperature where it's no longer yatsa lettuce, but where the hand would no longer uh, shrink away from it, then you'd be allowed to take from it the the uh the food that you want from that particular from that particular uh, uh pot. Okay, we're gonna come back with some final comments in a moment. This is one one point nine. Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb only on one oh one point nine Chai FM. One one for nine. Hi, everyone. This is Soul to Soul. I'm back on your radio. Air Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Vayakov, Bekudei, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel. We're talking about stirring food, and we're saying that if it's not yet completely cooked, it's a real problem. 
to stir food, whether it's on the fire or even off the fire. However, once something is completely cooked and the food is completely edible, so then there's no longer a prohibition of cooking. Therefore, you'd be allowed to take out of a pot the food that you, uh, that you want. And in fact, that is the meaning of many of, of the community, of the communities. However, nevertheless, one should not stir the pot, even if it's fully cooked, while it's on the, 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 the fire. Because, uh, it looks like you're doing an act of, of, of cooking. Right? Our custom is that we are strict, that so long as the, the cooked food is on, let's say, on the platter, even if it's completely cooked, the chatkila, we don't take food out of it, but first we take the pot off the platter, and then you can uh, take out with a spoon the food that you, that you want. And afterwards, if you want to put back the pot on, on the platter, so then you have to, uh, 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 be very careful about the principles that please God we're going to explain a little bit later in the laws of, of returning food to the, to the, uh, to the, to the, to the platter. Where it's very, very necessary, so even, even those who are normally strict are, are lenient to be able to take food from a, a cooked pot that is completely cooked, even if it's on the fire. Let's say, for example, uh, let's say the, the pot is on a, a, uh, uncovered fire. And if you take it off the fire, so then it's going to be usher to return it because you're only allowed to put something back on a covered fire. So then you'd be allowed to take the food out of the pot while it's still on the fire because the truth is that the, the, the standard real halacha is that from the time it's completely cooked, there's no longer an isser of, uh, of, of stirring it. Right? Water, according to everybody, you'd be allowed to take from the urn or whatever it is, which is on, on the, on the platter once it's completely, once it's completely, uh, uh, boiled. That's about all the time we have this Erev Shabbos. So it just leaves me a few seconds to first of all thank all of our radio family for joining us and being part of our show. I hope you learned something. I hope your Shabbos will be inspired by our discussions. And I really, really am grateful to all of you for taking the time to put your ear and, and, and share with us. And all that's left me to do is to wish all of our radio family, you and your family and your loved ones, and those you care about, a beautiful, warm, inspiring, and beautiful good chance.